0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, UPC.org. Everything depends on a resurrection. Everything depends on our capacity to believe that the Spirit can raise a man from the dead. Everything depends on our capacity to believe that everything lost will be restored. Everything destroyed will be rebuilt. Everything damaged will be repaired and the corrupted will be cleansed. That the dead will be raised incorruptible. Everything depends on our capacity to act on the belief that the Holy Spirit of God raises the dead. Because otherwise reconciliation is impossible until God's Holy Spirit is involved. Let me tell you a story. Annie told us a wonderful story from her experiences in South Africa. This is a story that happened about six years ago. Some of you may remember that in October of 1990, I'm sorry, October of 2006, news emerged of a horrific act of violence in the Amish community in the hamlet of Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. A 32-year-old local man called Charles Roberts, who was not Amish, took 10 young schoolgirls hostage. He opened fire. Five of them lost their lives. One was uh, severely brain damaged for life, and then he took his own life. What was remarkable about this tragic event is that on the same day that several of the families were rushing for emergency medical care to uh, to identify girls in, in the chaos. Another group of the Amish community were extending forgiveness and compassion to the Shooter's family. An Amish minister and several Amish men went to visit Robert's wife and children to express their forgiveness. And another Amish man went to see Robert's father in an excellent uh, DVD that's been produced On this through PBS, there's an interview with the pastor of that family. And the pastor says, of the Roberts family, said, when the Amish man walked in, grace walked in with him. And when grace walked in, hope walked in. As this Amish man said to Charles Roberts' father, we are going to forgive Charlie. (coughs) Several of the victims' families invited Roberts' wife and children to their daughter's funerals. And at Robert's funeral, half of the attendees were Amish, with several of the family members among the 30 attendees. Now, it's a story that I had forgotten until four or five weeks ago when I was speaking with a couple of of colleagues, friends, about the topic of this sermon, the Holy Spirit and Reconciliation. Reconciliation. They referenced the Amish in Nickel Mine, so I went looking for the story and speaking personally, reading these stories, reading what's happened since, watching their stories of these lives broken by tragedy and healing by grace has been deeply hopeful and convicting. We've been reminded this summer of the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit, In positive and wonderful ways, ways that re-energize, ways that regenerate, ways that release us from the bonds of of sin and death, as Ken preached last week. And at one point, we also spoke a couple of weeks ago about the community in a place called Thessalonica in modern-day Greece who so embraced this message of release and were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that their lives were transformed to become a living witness to the story that God told in Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians had the capacity to believe in a Holy Spirit who raised a man from the dead. They believed and their community became living witness, just as the community in nickel mines is a living witness to this good news of resurrection and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. So today I want to reflect on the Holy Spirit and reconciliation and be guided by the living witness of this community in nickel mines. And also by the living witness of the letter that Paul wrote to another congregation of his, also in Greece, called Corinth. It's a second letter to the Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 5. You will find it on page 940 on your pew Bibles. I'd like us to stand, please, if you're able to read together. We're going to read in chapter 5 from verse 16 till the end of the chapter in verse 21. Please stand. And let's read the word of the Lord together. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your humiliation and your death and your resurrection and the freedom you've given us. We pray this morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth... That the meditations of our hearts will be used by your Holy Spirit to work reconciliation between us and you, us and our neighbors. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Please be seated. As I prepared this sermon, uh, Paul's writing has just clung to this story from Pennsylvania. or, Or it may be, quite fairly, that the community in Pennsylvania clings to writing such as this. And Paul... See, as one observer put it, the Amish were perhaps better prepared than most to immediately extend forgiveness. He observed that the habitual lifestyle among the Amish is to forgive. They see this as a command of Jesus. They learn it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Their community is shaped by an ethic of yielding to God and one another. As one mother puts it, forgiveness is renouncing self-defense, giving up her desire for revenge. See, seeing Jesus, the Son of God, crucified on the cross and raised from the dead, completely changes their whole view on reality. They, They don't see things from a human point of view. They see things in a new way, and they live that new way. Even though once they knew Christ from a human point of view, Paul writes, we knew him no longer in that way. As one mother of one of the daughters put it, she says, I choose not to hold it against Charlie. What does this mean when Paul writes, we once viewed Christ this way, but we no longer view him in a human way? Well, remember Paul's story. Remember the story of Saul uh, in Acts 9. You can go back and, and, and read it at home. He looked at this man, Jesus, from Nazareth, Galilee, this Jewish man who pretended to be a Messiah, and the cost of pretending to be a Messiah was crucifixion, a violent death at the hand of the Roman Empire. That's how he saw him. And then if you remember the story, Paul was confronted by the risen Jesus Christ and once Paul saw the risen Jesus Christ the scars in his hand the scars on his side the scars on his feet Not only Paul, but all of the others who were included when Paul says we no longer see him this way Paul can never look at the crucified Jesus the same way again Seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ changed his entire view not only on Christ But on the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world See, resurrection affirms the impossible. Resurrection affirms that reconciliation is possible between Jew and Gentile, between ethnicities, between male and female, between the rich and the poor. The impossible is possible now through the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So earlier in this same letter to the Corinthians, Paul gives a word picture for the power of this resurrection, the power behind this reconciliation. Paul's images earlier in uh, 2 Corinthians, you can look that up in chapter 4 as you do your summer Bible reading this week. In chapter 4, Paul says, you know, we are like earthen vessels. Maybe you've heard the phrase, jars of clay. And this incomparably great power, he says in, in, in verse 4, the power of God hides within us, lives within us in these earthen vessels. And really, then, the only place you see this glory, this power of God, is through the cracks and the weaknesses and the frailties of these jars. I'd like to show you some images of an exhibition that was called The Golden Seams. It's the Japanese art of kintsuji. And that means golden joinery in Japanese. It refers to the art of fixing broken ceramics, with a lacquer resin that has gold in it so that when it's fired, it's made to look like solid gold. And because the repairs are done with such immaculate craft and in precious metal, it is hard to read them as a record of violence and damage. Instead, as one reviewer writes, they take on the look of a deliberate incursion of radically free abstraction, Into an object that was made according to an utterly different system. A pot that would normally have been trashed was recognized as the perfect background for work in precious Kintsuji. End of quote. A deliberate incursion into an utterly different system. Doesn't that sound like the resurrection? So when the crucified God stands there, resurrected, the scars like golden seams in the restored pot, it is hard to read those scars as records of violence and damage. The Holy Spirit has deliberately stepped into an utterly different system and created beauty. When the Amish and nickel mines look on Jesus, it means they don't see things in a worldly way anymore. When they look on Charles Robertson, they don't see anymore the man who murdered their children. Because the way they see the world, he had not taken their daughter's lives. In life and in death, their daughters belong to the crucified Lord with the scars on his hands. They were entrusted. And forgiveness affirms the hope of their daughter's resurrection. Forgiveness affirms that the Holy Spirit has the power to inhabit broken bodies from the inside out, to reconcile soul and body. Forgiveness, in this case, is their witness to this radical hope. It makes them agents again instead of victims of violence. That in a life as in death, their children belong to the Lord to the risen Jesus who knows the violence of sin and testifies to the resurrection, to the art of the reconciliation. So the Amish forgive habitually. And the Holy Spirit gathers these broken lives, fills the broken places and spaces with gold to create a work of beauty. Now, it would be easy, I think, to separate the Amish as some sort of Hyper-spiritual elite group capable of practicing freakish acts of forgiveness that you dare not try at home But that would be a mistake Because as one of the mothers Of one of the girls said she daily kneels before God She says I cry and it hurts One of the fathers describes the daily challenge of forgiveness That he knew that every morning he would wake up and all the emotions would be there anger and grief and pain But, he said, we have to start every day. You see, the Amish don't waste their energy deciding if they're going to forgive, like so many of us do. The decision to forgive has already been made. They don't see it that way. So all of the energy that we waste deciding whether or not to forgive this thing, the Amish daily put directly into forgiveness, affirming the promise that these things that cannot be restored in our life will be restored in the new heaven and the new earth. They no longer regard things in the old way. And as they forgive, the Holy Spirit confirms that hope. That's what it means when Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of hope. They are met every time. And so they also know the rest of Paul's writing. That no longer seeing things in the old way, God has now entrusted the message of reconciliation to us, to them that they are ambassadors for Christ, that Christ speaks directly through them to us in their words and their actions. The lives of the Amish make God's appeal to us here today to be reconciled to God. And will we hear that appeal? To be agents of reconciliation in the world. How do we follow their example? How are we reconciled to God? How does reconciliation become habit-forming? Well, I'd like to suggest just two ways this morning. Not by Presbyterian. Usually there's three. We're going with two. <laughs> the first is to admit that we're broken. See, the Holy Spirit is essential to this. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And perhaps today the most important one to focus on, the way this happens, is the Holy Spirit convicting us of the sin of refusal to forgive, of bitterness, The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins not to destroy us, but to repair us. You remember those images of the repaired pots with the golden seams. And when I was first playing with these images, I thought, oh, well, maybe the Holy Spirit is like those golden seams in the broken pots. And, and, and then it was, oh, no, no, no. Actually, when we forgive, it's, it's like we put, our forgiveness puts that golden resin in. And then the Holy Spirit, like fire, fires that resin. And restores The holy spirit is the fire of god who purifies us That fire purifies us and through the act of forgiveness Restores in a way that we never could When I um lived in scotland on the east coast I would travel to the west coast and on the isle of sky There's a wonderful pottery place Edinbane pottery. I had a mug. I loved they just made great pottery and I brought this mug faithfully back to the east coast and Put my coffee in it, and sure enough, there on my table is a little bit of a dampness. And Well, I didn't realize it, but the mug was cracked. And once that dark coffee went in, you could see the crack. Until the mug was put to the purpose for which it was designed, the crack didn't show up. That's the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We are designed to hold the glory of God. We are designed for the same God who rose Jesus from raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of the same God to live and move and breathe in us. And once we are put to our proper use, once we allow the Holy Spirit to enter every part of our lives, the cracks will show up. You'll start leaking. Our own hatred's going to show up, our pride, our selfishness, our fear, anything that exposes where we are not naturally right. And this I promise you, as soon as you allow the Holy Spirit of God full reign in your life, as soon as you commit your whole body to receive the Holy Spirit, this frail earthen vessel of yours, all the cracks and frailties will show up. And that is very scary. And when it comes to forgiveness, it's scary because sometimes the reason we don't forgive, we stay angry, we stay bitter, we tell the stories over and over again, is we're convinced if we don't, we'll fall apart. It won't just be a crack, it'll be broken again. And that our anger and our bitterness and our recrimination and our own efforts are keeping this together. But the fact is, if we will allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and expose these cracks and then allow the Holy Spirit to break us of our own efforts and our own sins through the act of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit will refuse us. Not refuse as in push away, but refuse as in reconcile, as in fuse again, as in repair us. In a beauty and a wonder we couldn't have imagined before things were broken. This is good news. This is the art of reconciliation. For myself, with my mug, I didn't know how to do that. So I just kept using it cracked until finally there was too much pressure and it broke. Some of us are living with the cracks in our lives. And we're afraid if we let the Holy Spirit really go to work in those places, that we will lose something so precious, and we don't know how to fix it. Hear the good news this morning. The Holy Spirit does not convict you in order to destroy you. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and calls us to forgive in order to restore us and reconcile us and fill these broken places with a beauty we cannot create or imagine. The second way that the Holy Spirit is so essential, though, as well, to reconciliation, is through community. Do you notice how important community is to this story from Nickel Mines? See, one of the things we can do when the Holy Spirit starts to expose us is we can try to hide. And unfortunately, frequently, the church can also help us hide. The church can help us hide by denying the reality of sin. It's not such a bad crap. Just live with it. The church can help us to hide by condemning our weaknesses. Cover your cracks and show up for worship. We don't want to see them. The church can help us to hide by only welcoming people who don't show their weaknesses and failures. Or by telling us that we have the option to wait to forgive until we feel ready. And when we do that as a church, shame on us. You see, in Nickel Creek, one of the most important things about the community and the Amish in that community is that they were places that supported one another in this act of forgiveness. They saw the practice of forgiveness as corporate and communal. And so as one man put it, the community assumes the responsibility to forgive. One purpose of community is to share one another's burdens. In an offense of this magnitude, the Amish would never expect the individual alone to extend instant forgiveness. The community took responsibility to practice forgiveness, knowing the individual victims were too crushed to do it. End of quote. We name the brokenness and we call one another to forgive the brokenness for one reason and one reason only so that the fire of the Holy Spirit of the living Jesus can fuse it from within into the golden resin of God's forgiveness. And a person that normally would have been trashed can be recognized as the perfect vessel for the art of reconciliation. And that's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible on our own to think that these areas of sin and failure in our life, these these sins that we struggle to hide and to keep hidden, And to ignore could become the very openings that God uses to create something of beauty. It can feel offensive actually for the church, for Jesus to suggest that the ways that you have been deeply broken by others can become places of beauty. It's almost insulting. It's kind of maybe the offensive glory of the cross. And isn't this what the Amish have done for Charles Richards, for his wife, for his family, and his children? Because his legacy, by all rights, should be violence and loss. And there were many who were offended by the response of the Amish. But instead, the Holy Spirit has transformed this shattered story into a witness to reconciliation. The Amish set up an accountability committee to disperse the the money donated in the wake of this tragedy. And one of the committee's first decisions was to set aside a significant portion of the money for the shooter's family with special concern for his kids. This traditionally very closed community has discovered a calling to receive with hospitality those who come to learn from them about reconciliation. And not only do they receive, but members of this community go out now to places that are coping with similarly devastating events. Several of the parents traveled to Virginia Tech in 2007 to be with families affected by the shooting that killed 32 students and faculty there. And one of the fathers in that delegation who went acknowledged that he didn't really want to go. And yet he noted, he understood that it was important for them to do this as a witness to what God was doing in and through them, that they were crucial vessels, end of quote. See, when we let the Holy Spirit transform the places that sin has broken and be reconciled in community, it is an act of beauty. A reconciling community shares one another's burdens, helps absorb the hatred and anger, speaks the truth in love. A reconciling community remembers that reconciliation isn't just applying staples from the outside, it's waiting patiently in a wounded place for the Holy Spirit to heal. When men and women who are in relationships that are verbally or physically abusive, the church should be the first place the victim can come for help. That the abuser can be met with truth and also the invitation to confession and healing in a new way. A reconciling community invites the Holy Spirit to reveal and to cleanse and to heal, and this takes remarkable courage. And often it means living a long time with the wound still healing. I'll close with one last story from Herman Botrager, who is a spokesperson for the Nickel Mines community. He told this this story uh, about four years after this happened of entering the plain but warm kitchen and dining and living room of a young Amish family. Two healthy young sons rose satisfied from the supper table and went straight to playful tussling. Across the room sat a woman with short, spiky hair in slacks, obviously not Amish. She was holding Rosanna totally disabled by shots to the head, the eight-year-old daughter of Chris and Mary Liz. The woman was reading to her. Once a week she comes. She is the mother of Charles Roberts, the man who shot Rosanna. She gives care and hopes for healing for her own wounded heart. Mary Liz and Christ, though weeping for themselves and for Rosanna, offer Mrs. Roberts hospitality a space to mourn her son. Here, a simple country home surrounded by lush fields of grain is a haven for wounded hearts. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, this congregation, surrounded by the city of Seattle, can become a haven for wounded hearts. We pray you will fill us with your glory. We pray as individuals, Lord Jesus, that you'd give us the grace of your Holy Spirit to reveal our sins. Forgive us for sinning against you and others. We pray by the grace of your Holy Spirit that you show us those people you want us to forgive. Please receive our anger and continuing hurt, and our desire for revenge. And we pray that by the grace of your Holy Spirit, you give us humility as a church to admit where we have failed and we are frail, to recognize where we are broken, where we have broken one another with our choices and been broken by the choices of others. Please give us the grace to forgive To watch your Holy Spirit go to work. To witness the art of your reconciliation, not for our sake, but for the sake of the world outside these walls as we extend this reconciliation to others. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. As we continue to learn what it means to live in this space of forgiveness and reconciliation, we learn from communities that have done this a great deal longer than we have. And one of those communities is the cathedral in Coventry. And so we'll we'll close this sermon with a litany of reconciliation from the uh, Coventry Cathedral since 1959. Uh, this litany has been recited every Friday at noon before the altar of reconciliation in the sanctuary of the old Coventry Cathedral Which as many of you know was destroyed by German bombs in World War II uh, Let's stand and be led in this litany together The hatred which divides nation from nation race from race class from class O oh God forgive The covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own O oh God forgive The greed which exploits the labors of men and women and lays waste to the earth. Our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. Our indifference to the plight of the homeless and the refugee. The lust which dishonors the bodies of men, women, and children. The pride which leads us to trust in ourselves and not in you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Amen. For more UPC audio, or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 extension 117.